2022. My name is Critch, and you are tuned into Canadian Patriot Radio. Um, we got a lot to cover uh, since the last episode. We've got the COVID restrictions in Canada being dropped. Uh, we've got some information about the bivalent um, vaccine. It's not looking good already. Um, and we've got Canadian, some Canadian doctors speaking out. Um, there was a really good interview out of Winnipeg that I'd like to cover in this show that um, Dr. Paul Shoemaker out of Ontario came, came out and uh, kind of gave his account of what he's seeing and, and what, what needs to happen. And then, of course, we've got the gun issue. We've got uh, Alberta at this point standing alone saying, no, we're not down with the confiscation of legally acquired firearms. So we're going to cover that. <clears throat> And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what the makeup of this show is going to be. Um, what I'd like to do first is kind of the big question mark right now for most Canadians is what is the U S going to do? Because if you've tried to travel to the U S right now and you are unvaccinated, you got turned back or at least I got told that I couldn't enter. Now, uh, this next one, this article comes to us by way of Yahoo finance and the title reads follow Canada's lead on easing COVID-19 travel restrictions, U.S. lawmakers urge. This was written on Friday, September 23rd, 2022. Lawmakers from Northern United States are cheering reports that Canada is poised to abandon COVID-19 vaccination rules for foreign visitors and want President Joe Biden's administration to follow suit. Montana Senator John Tester, a Democrat who wrote to Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, this week to urge him to lift the vaccine requirements for truck drivers and other travelers entering the U.S. Recent reports indicate that the Canadian government is planning to terminate its vaccination requirements for Americans and other non-citizens entering the country in coming days, Tester wrote. It is past time for Americans to do the same. Vaccine mandates at the border are making international trade harder and more expensive, particularly in states like Montana that enjoy a special trading relationship with their northern neighbors, he continued. Fertilizer, hay, and other agriculture products from Canada are, be- are critical for farmers and ranchers in Montana and across America, Tester wrote. A coordinated approach to uh, reciprocal measures, he said, would, be <clears throat> would prevent unnecessary confusion, increase trade, and boost ec- economies on both sides of the northern border. New York Congressman Representative Brian Higgins, co-chair of the multi-partisan bilateral Canada-U.S. interparliamentary group, said the question of vaccination rules at the border was a hot topic during recent meetings in D.C. Higgins said it would defy logic for the U.S. to maintain its vaccine mandate for foreign travelers in light of Biden's own claim in a recent 60 Minutes interview um, that the pandemic is over. 
I don't know if I agree with that entirely, he said of Biden's remarks, but the extent to which I do agree with it is that all pandemic restrictions should be lifted. People have had enough. Two senior government sources aware of Canada's decision confirmed Thursday uh, that the cabinet order maintaining COVID-19 border measures will not be renewed if it, uh, when it expires on September 30th. The source, <clears throat> the sources spoke to Canadian press on the conditions. They were not named because they were not authorized to speak publicly. The expiry also spells the end of requiring travelers to use the ArriveCan app to input vaccination records and test results, uh, though the app will live on as an optional tool for um, customs and immigration. One of the sources said Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has signed off on the decision not to renew the order. Uh, As you guys know, this is a little bit late, but we're just going to finish the article anyway. We know that uh, it's all over come September 30th, but... As a result, international travelers travelers will no longer have to prove they are fully vaccinated to enter Canada. Unvaccinated unvaccinated Canadians must show a negative test result to get in, agree to quarantine for 14 days, and and undergo further testing after arrival. White House officials have so far refused to say whether U.S. vaccine rules for foreign travelers will change at the end of the month. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention did not respond to media inquiries on Friday. Asymmetrical travel restrictions along the Canadian and U.S. border have been a regular frustration over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, most notably last fall when the U.S. opened the door to vaccinated foreigners nearly three months after Canada did. Higgins said he's well aware of the dysfunction and wants the interparliamentary group to turn its focus towards finding a way to ensure U.S. and Canada can make their border policies more symmetrical. You look all over the world, whether it's Middle e- the Middle East or whether it's East Asia, whether it's Eastern Europe, everybody is surrounded by hostility and instability, he said. In North America, in, and in particular between the United States and Canada, we are surrounded by friends and fish. And I just think that, you know, that that has to account for something. Canada's tourism industry has bemoaned the, uncoordinate, the uncoordinated approach Canada and the U.S. have taken at the border as well. In a report commissioned by the Tourism Industry Association of of Canada and the Canadian Travel and Tourism Roundtable, several prominent Canadian epidemiologists called for an end to restrictions that single out cross-border travellers. Travel restrictions implemented implemented worldwide cannot maintain a COVID-19-free environment, nor prevent new variants of concern from entering a country or prevent it from being uh, spread within communities, the four doctors concluded. And Canadian travelers are fairly low, uh, low risk lot. Considering more than 87% of Canadians living north of the border have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, which did absolutely nothing for them, actually destroyed their immune systems. We're one of the most highly vaccinated populations in the world, Dr. Carl Weiss, chief of the Infectious Disease Division at McGill Center for Viral Diseases, told a news conference Friday. I think at this stage, the tools we have, we've reached that point. So... <clears throat> The U.S. still hasn't announced if they are going to lift the border restrictions. I know if you guys are like me and you uh, do cross-border shopping and you uh, you kind of do business in the U.S., a lot of us are right by the border. Uh, this is a real thorn in our side, um, this fascist, fascistic um, border restrictions, I guess, on both sides of the border uh, is, is just absolutely mental at this point um we've said it in previous shows like the entire world has COVID-19 so what does what does turning away unvaccinated travelers do to stop or slow the spread of COVID when we already know that vaccinated people are more prone 
what exactly are we trying to accomplish uh, by turning away unvaccinated travelers to the U.S.? What, what, seriously, like logically, does someone have an answer? Because none of these lawmakers and health officials uh, do <laughs> at all. It's just, at this point, it's just, I know the frustration level for all of us is just like, wow. You know, the amount of evidence out there to show that these shots have done nothing but harm people and and actually have made them more prone, uh, like high percentage prone to actually catching and spreading COVID is unbelievable. Like these shots were a complete flop, not a surprise to any of us. But at the same time, you still have this false narrative um, in the mainstream media and in uh, among health um, health agencies and and border uh, border agencies, it, it's just it's unbelievable. Like how do you you know? I guess the question I have is how do you even get through the day and not see uh, the information that is contradictory to what it is you are forcing on people? How do you get through the day? Like you must just have um you must just have your blinders on to all information except for what you're spoon-fed by the mainstream media. It, it's it's unbelievable. Um anyway, my friends, that's kind of where we're at. So I I did I was looking for something a little bit more recent on the US and I couldn't find anything. So I'm following the story as you know because I've got to uh I've got a new puppy um that I got to pick up south of the line. Um Chili, my last dog was was she was American, and um, anyway, I went to the same breeder, and I've got another one picked out. So at the end of October, I've got to drive down and pick her up. So they better get their shit together if you want my honest to god opinion, because I want to pick up my puppy myself. I don't want to send somebody else and have that puppy bonding with somebody else for for three hours on the way home. Anyway, my friends, let's get this show started. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian. Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command.
Welcome back, my friends. Um, what I want to do next is I want to turn your attention over to an expose article. And, uh, you know, the question remains, what, what changed with Trudeau? Um, why, why drop the mandates at the border? Um, you know, there's a lot of, there was a lot of pressure for tourism and all that stuff. But realistically, I think it was the fact that the numbers aren't lying and the Canadian government has released um, shocking numbers. Um, the title of this one reads, Trudeau drops COVID vaccine mandate because nine in every 10 COVID-19 deaths have been among the triple quadruple vaccinated in the past three months. Now, this article has one of those read-along things. Now, hopefully this time it doesn't read all the uh, the attachment things like it did in the last episode. But let's, uh, let's uh, let this read to us and then we will chat about it after. Trudeau drops COVID vaccine mandate because 9 in every 10 COVID-19 deaths have been among the triple-slash-quadruple vaccinated in the past three months. Back in June, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, tested positive for COVID-19 for a second time despite allegedly being triple vaccinated. But despite this personal and clear evidence that that COVID-19 injections are useless, Trudeau refused to remove the COVID vaccine mandates he had enforced across Canada. However, four months later, Trudeau has finally relented and decided to drop the COVID-19 vaccine mandates across Canada. What's changed his mind? Trudeau will most likely insist it's because of the huge success of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. But he will be lying. We know he will be lying because official government of Canada reports confirmed that over the past three months, quadruple and triple vaccinated Canadians have accounted for nine in every ten COVID-19 deaths. This and the fact he has repeatedly tested positive for COVID-19 despite having numerous jabs are most likely the two main reasons why Justin Trudeau has finally decided to end his two-and-half-year dictatorship in the name of COVID-19 across Canada. The Government of Canada produces a daily COVID-19 epidemiology update, in which they sporadically provide new data on COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and deaths as and when they feel like it. The following table is taken from their 26th September update, found here, and shows the number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status up to August 28, 2022. Source Unfortunately, the Government of Canada is attempting to deceive the public by providing a tally of cases, hospitalizations and deaths that stretches all the way back to December 14, 2020. By doing this they're able to include a huge wave that occurred in January 2021, when just 0.3% of the population of Canada was considered fully vaccinated. But thanks to the Wayback Machine, we're able to look at previously published reports by the Government of Canada and do the simple math ourselves to work out the current situation surrounding COVID-19 by vaccination status. The following table is taken from a report published early July 2022, and it shows the number of cases, hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status between 14th of December 2020 and 12th of June 2022. Source now, all we have to do is carry out simple subtraction to deduce who is accounting for the most recent wave of COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations, and deaths in Canada, and these are the results. COVID-19 cases The following chart shows the number of COVID-19 cases across the whole of Canada by vaccination status between 13th June and 28th of August 2022. The most recent figures show that there were 143,732 COVID-19 cases between 13th June and 28th of August 2022. 
and the vaccinated population accounted for 119,974 of them, with 88,427 cases among the triple vaccinated and 24,767 cases among the quadruple vaccinated population. This means the unvaccinated population accounted for 17% of COVID-19 cases, whilst the vaccinated population accounted for 83%, 94% of which were among the triple and quadruple jabbed. COVID-19 hospitalizations The following chart shows the number of COVID-19 hospitalizations across the whole of Canada by vaccination status between 13 June and 28 August 2022. The most recent figures show that there were 11,777 COVID-19 hospitalizations between 13 June and 28 August 2022, and the vaccinated population accounted for 9,914 of them with 6,256 hospitalizations among the triple vaccinated and 1,750 hospitalizations among the quadruple vaccinated population. This means the unvaccinated population accounted for just 16% of COVID-19 hospitalizations, whilst the vaccinated population accounted for 84%, 81% of which were among the triple and quadruple jabbed. COVID-19 deaths The following chart shows the number of COVID-19 deaths across the whole of Canada by vaccination status between 13 June and 28 August 2022. The most recent figures show that there were 2,145 COVID-19 deaths between 13 June and 28 August 2022, and the vaccinated population accounted for 1,841 of them with a shocking 1,123 deaths among the triple vaccinated and 548 deaths among the quadruple vaccinated population. This means the unvaccinated population accounted for just 14% of COVID-19 deaths, whilst the vaccinated population accounted for 86%, 90% of which were among the triple and quadruple jabbed. Despite a mass booster campaign, and the government of Canada trying to desperately conceal it, a bit of time, effort, and simple maths has revealed that 9 in every 10 COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and deaths were recorded among the triple-slash-quadruple vaccinated population between 13 June and 28 August 2022. Should we really be seeing this if the COVID-19 injections are effective? Absolutely not. These figures suggest the more jabs you have, the more likely you are to be hospitalized or lose your life if exposed to the alleged COVID-19 virus. This is why Justin Trudeau has finally decided to remove COVID-19 vaccine mandates and end his dictatorship in the name of COVID-19 across Canada. But that can only mean one thing. It's time for a new Trudeau dictatorship in the name of climate change. Are you surprised by any of that? <laughs> no, you're not. Neither am I. Um, does is, is that the reason that Justin Trudeau actually dropped the mandates at the border? I doubt it. This information... Um, they've been trying to suppress and alter and manipulate to make it look like it's more um, the vaccinated pop or the unvaccinated population, but they just it's at a point now where they can't they can't hide it. Um, these charts um, are unbelievable. Um, and it's no surprise. It's like anybody that's gonna act surprised when they see this is not listening to the actual science, the real experts, or just the fact that you had people warning about this. Um, <clears throat> very qualified people warning about this before the shots were even rolled out, once they figured out what these shots were. Um, 
even people in the vaccine industry themselves uh, were saying, no, like, don't do this. This, this is not good. Uh, this, is, this is going to damage people. And sure, lo and behold, you know, we were all labeled conspiracy theorists for, for, for mentioning this. Um, you know, before we get into the Canadian doctor speaking out, um, Rand Paul's been doing uh, great work, and and he did a he was on Fox Business um, the other day, and he basically called this the biggest cover up in the history of science, and this ties into basically what we are talking about right now. Um, there's people warning about this right from the get go. And Rand Paul is one of those American politicians that is just, he's, he's well ed- educated. He himself is a doctor and, uh, you know, he, he's been, uh, basically blowing the whistle on this right from the get go. A lot of you have seen the back and forth between him and, and Anthony Fauci. Um, and I'd love the fact that he said, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules and you guys are going to be held accountable sp- specifically, uh, when it comes to who's, how they're making money, everybody in, uh, the FDA and the NIH and all that stuff. Rand Paul's gone after Fauci lots. And the last time, the last meeting that they had together, um, he, he let him have it. He, he, it was basically a warning, but anyway, I'm getting a little bit off topic because, uh, let's, let's turn it over to Fox news because, or Fox business, because this, this whole clip is actually quite well done. And, uh, it kind of ties into exactly what we're talking about. Pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. He was wearing a mask in public outside two weeks ago. Uh, the problem is the damage is already done from the virus, as well as from the government's draconian overreaction and COVID measures. And there are still a lot of unanswered questions, like where did COVID originate? And who got rich off the vaccines last week? Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul confronted Dr. Fauci about the latter. Watch. We've been asking you, and you refuse to answer, whether anybody on the vaccine committees gets royalties from the pharmaceutical companies. I asked you last time, and what was your response? We don't have to tell you. But I tell you this, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules and you will have to divulge where you get your royalties from, from what companies. And if anybody on the committee has a conflict of interest, we're going to learn about it. I promise you that. Well, on top of that, there's still a lot we don't know about the vaccine. Senator Rand Paul took down Dr. Fauci on that point as well. Watch. You seem quite certain of yourself in 2004, but in 2022, there's a lot less certainty. A vaccination following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. If you ignore whether they've been infected, you're ignoring a vaccine, basically. People decry vaccine hesitancy. It's coming from the gobbledygook that you give us. As you heard, Senator Paul is vowing to investigate all of it should Republicans win the Senate. Uh, so when would that begin? And shouldn't they be doing that now? Here with me tonight, Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul. Senator Paul, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you really are the only honest actor who is taking it to Dr. Fauci, who is so horribly conflicted. Now, for you, what is the most troubling conflict of interest that he has? Well, the thing is, is the entire pandemic, if it came from a lab, the fact that he approved the research and funded the lab would draw culpability to himself. 
culpability to the NIH, culpability to all of these people who made the unwise decision to send money to China to do dangerous research. So that's why they steadfastly resist this. But if you look at the early emails, when, when they first discovered the sequence, the RNA sequence of this virus, January 31st of 2020, they are quite frightened. There's harried emails going back and forth till 2.30 in the morning. And all of the initial scientists are saying to him, holy cow, we've looked at the sequence and it looks like it's been manipulated in the lab. In fact, it has a cleavage site. This is the way the virus cleaves or gets into the cell that we don't see in nature typically, and that the Chinese last year asked us for money to do exactly that research. So all kinds of alarms and bells went off for a day or two. And then we have another couple of emails where Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci are talking about how they are science and saying that, wow, this would be really damaging to science and to NIH and to all the taxpayer money we get and also to themselves personally. So they began a cover up. And I think it's the biggest cover up probably in the history of science. And we will get to the bottom of this because I promise you there's going to be a paper trail and there's not been any interest from Democrats. But should we win in November? I will use every bit of subpoena power to get every bit of data. We will bring Fauci under oath. We will bring all of those scientists under oath. And we will get to the bottom of this. Well, I hope someone does. And I can't uh, imagine for a moment why Democrats, you know, their constituents died too. You know, their the kids in their districts, they suffered as well. You know, they, they suffered through the mental health crisis and learning loss uh, because of this pandemic. And we still don't know where it came from. We deserve to to know that that should not be a political pursuit. And, you know, it, it, Dr. Fauci has made it so. He has turned into a political operative and he has done so much damage to this country. Now, another answer you've been trying to elicit from him, and he's been very slippery on this. Uh, and, and this is also a glaring conflict of interest. There are people who sit on those vaccine committees who decide what the rules are for all of us and where we can and cannot go. Uh, could they be getting royalties and could they be enriched from the vaccines that they are forcing into people's bodies? So we've asked this question over and over again. Fauci and others have refused to answer any questions. They're steadfastly refusing to answer any questions, but a judge through the Freedom of Information Act required that they release some emails. They released them, but they blanked them all out except for the total amount of royalties. But it's not a small amount. 1,800 scientists received $193 million, but they won't tell us from which companies wow. to which scientists. So my question is simply this, and it may not, there may be nobody on the committee that's received this money, but if they won't tell us, it makes us wonder. So on the vaccine committees, there's several committees that uh, approve uh, vaccines and then push forward these mandates. Is anybody on those committees receiving royalties from the two companies that make the vaccine or three companies that make the vaccine. And if they are, they shouldn't be on the committee. The best way to think of this is, let's say your local school board is going to vote to buy new textbooks. And one of the members of the school board owns the textbook company. Do you think anywhere in America that doesn't have to be divulged that that's a conflict of interest? So 
Nobody would, you know, but nobody touches Fauci. We go after him on this, and he says, we are not going to tell you we don't have to. And then he cites a law from 1980 that we're investigating the law, and we will change the law if it's protecting him. But really, what kind of bureaucrat, what kind of scientist comes forward and says, well, we're just not going to tell you because we don't have to. He and his wife make $850,000 a year working for the government, and we want to know if these scientists that are raking in that much money are also receiving royalties, and if they're receiving royalties from companies for which they are approving the drugs. That's a clear conflict of interest. Absolutely, and, and the ramifications in society are totally unacceptable, and he deserves to be pressed on this and held to account. Uh, Senator Paul, a lot of people who watch this show are hoping that you are thinking about running in 2024. Do you have an appetizer for them? Uh, well, two months from now, I am running. I'm running for re-election for Kentucky. And if people want to know about that, they can go to randpaul.com. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought beyond that. It's hard to think beyond that because 2024 is another election cycle away. And so we won't make any decisions till after this. I can tell you that if we were to look at it, it has to be a probable tract in which there would be a possibility because it is a large duty. I did it in 2015, mm. you know, for the 2016 election, and we were disappointed somewhat with the numbers. And so, you know, in order to undertake a project like that, we have to really believe that we could win. We wouldn't do it just for fun because, frankly, it's not that much fun to travel the entire country and do the work. Well, we'll but see. But uh, I do want to participate in the debate. So. All right. I, I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I am excited for what your future holds. And uh, unlike Dr. Fauci, you believe in data and science, so I'm sure uh, that will inform your decision. Senator Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. The um, conflict of interest question is the, the most interesting takeaway from that uh, interview. I, well, and don't get me wrong, I'd love to see Senator Rand Paul run for the President of the United States. I absolutely would. Um, <clears throat> And uh, here's where I'm going to get controversial. I'd almost see, would rather see him run over um, President Trump simply because he has always been outspoken and against these vaccines. Trump went along with them. Senator Rand Paul, has, you know, the more I've watched, you know, through the years, the more I've watched of him, the more I like him. Um, he basically stands with the people. He's against all, um, I guess, globalist overreach in his country. Anyway, that's off the topic. What are the odds that you think... That uh, members of Health Canada and the Public Health uh, Agency of Canada were also also have conflicts of interest when it comes to these vaccines. They're they're in charge of the approvals of these vaccines. Now I want I wonder through a Freedom of Information Act uh, in Canada if we could get information on if these people are taking money from Pfizer and Moderna and uh, J and J and everybody else that had vaccines in this country. What are the odds, my friends? What do you think the odds of that are? probably extremely high but before we even before we even get into the vaccines we have to look at the fact which was kind of touched on on this this interview was the fact that there was gain of function and this vaccine or vaccine this virus <clears throat> still killed six and a half million people this was a man-made virus that if you want my honest to god opinion was intentionally released through aerosol delivery all over the world. How do you have scientists in Antarctica that come down with COVID with no exposure to the rest of the world? How does that happen? How does that happen? Unless it's an aerosol. It's airborne, we know that. And then it just travels all around and comes down in rain and everything else. In fog, you just breathe it in and bang, there you go. There you got COVID. 
But that's the real question. That, you know, those scientists in Antarctica all coming down with COVID with no exposure to the outside world is a huge tip-off that this was an aerosol-delivered intentional release. Now, people, heads need to roll over that. Like, that would be Nuremberg 2.0 if we could ever get that out. Um, And then everybody that went along with it, who knew when, would be the real question. Who knew when? And then that would really come down to, um, you know, with all of this stuff, if you went along with it, you should be facing a noose. You should be. And then let, then you, then you got to get into the vaccines. The second stage of this uh, bioweapon is the vaccines. Holy smokes. <clears throat> okay, I want to stay on this topic. I do want to cover Alberta. We might sneak that in after the, the interview with uh, Dr. Paul Shoemaker, but it's nice to see... Uh, it's nice to see Canadian doctors starting to speak out um, and really speaking out. Um, this is one of the, not one of the first. The very first was uh, Dr. Colvinder Gill when this all started. And she's still speaking out. Uh, if you guys follow her on Twitter, she's still speaking out against all of this stuff. So, <clears throat> But now we've got another very, very well-spoken doctor that went on the um, Shadow Davis show out of Winnipeg the other day. And the interview was just top-notch. So, so much so that I wanted to repost the whole thing. So or the whole interview itself anyway. So without any further uh, me tagging along, let's, uh, let's get to this interview on the Shadow Davis show with Dr. Paul Shoemaker. Sorry, Dr. Paul Shoemaker. It was Rand, Rand Paul was sticking in my head. It's Dr. Chris Allen Shoemaker. My apologies, friends. Okay, let's turn it over to Shadow Davis. Chris Shoemaker is a licensed comprehensive physician in Ontario. He is a member of the College of Family Physicians of Canada. He has, in his 45-year career, worked in emergency medicine in both Ontario and the Ottawa and Hamilton region, and in British Columbia in the Hope and Merritt areas in the B.C. interior. He also did family practice on two military bases in Ontario, Borden and Eight Wing Trenton, assisted in the direct care of Canadian Forces members and their families. Most recently, in 2020 through this year, he worked in direct patient care at the West Ottawa COVID Care Clinic and was part of the Eastern Ontario response team to COVID-19. He spoke in front of Canada's Parliament at the trucker convoy in Ottawa three times. Based on studies out of Britain in January 2021 to May 2022, he has spoken for the need to save the children, stop the vax, He is also the medical consultant to the Mama Bears Project. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show Dr. Chris Allen Shoemaker. Dr. Shoemaker, thanks for joining the show tonight. Really appreciate you coming on. It's a pleasure. Well, thank you, Shadow. Glad to be here with everyone. Hi. Hi. So London, Ontario is where I am. You're in London. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I used to live in London. I lived there from, well, two years, 96 and 97. Absolutely loved my time in London, Ontario. Yeah. So let me... Let, let me ask you, um, you spent, was it 10 days in Nathan Phillips Square in downtown Toronto recently? Yeah, I was moved to do it. I had just come back from the East Coast where I had walked for three days with James Top and uh, wanted to meet him, wanted him to know that he had my support and if he ever wanted any medical, as it were, support for his purposes, uh, he was welcome to call on me. Uh, having done that, and then also having done some serious interviews for Mama Bear's project, uh, I was then on my way back through Quebec City, 
And it was there that I suddenly heard that Denmark had uh, stopped giving vaccines to children 17 and under. Huge, huge news. I read the subtext of it. I read the exact details as to how much banning they were doing and how much uh, still with some permission, some vaccines might go forward. But once I understand it, its totality, bottom line is 99.9% of children would not get the vaccine in Denmark anymore. And that's virtually a ban. So it was at that point I felt I have to tell Canadians that a well-respected country in Europe is seeing the danger of these vaccinations being given to children. We have to speak about it here and we have to do something about it here because children are dying by the 10s and 20s every month in Canada, dying this month and next month, and some more in November if they keep getting the shots. And uh, we'll talk about these things as we go along. Thank you. So so how uh, how, how was your time there at, in downtown Toronto? How would you approach people when they came walking up to you? It must have been oh, awkward. Uh, basically, uh, I had some interactions with folks. I had some wonderful helpers who, you know, passed out a few Mama Bear's cards and things like that so that people would understand that they had options and that they could wait safely. And those volunteers did a lot of the speaking. I did certainly when asked, when someone wanted to talk to the doctor, I made myself available and we chatted away. And I certainly also made myself available for videographers. I wanted the opportunity. I'd have been glad if the CBC had come down. I'd been glad if global television had come down. Of course, they did not. Uh, but we had some independent videographers who did come, including brothers and others. And we have some wonderful interviews from that and some wonderful facts to share because of that. And even if we didn't, talk to that many people in downtown Toronto directly. We are now talking to hundreds of thousands of people through our videos. Yeah, I first uh, found out about what you were doing on Druthers. I thought that was a fantastic interview. Uh, can you tell us more about the Mama Bears Project? I promised the girls that we would talk about this because they say sometimes you forget to mention it when you're well, doing an interview. They should. I will. We've already mentioned it, as you can tell. Yep. And uh, God bless the gang at... Mama Bears Project. I approached them. I was very impressed with what they were doing already. I volunteered to make myself available as to any kind of advisorship if they wished it, and they were kind enough to accept. And uh, they've also been kind enough to post uh, between seven and 12 of my videos on their very own website. So if anyone goes to mamabearsproject.com, just go to the menu, click on Dr. Chris Shoemaker, and you'll be able to see some lengthier interviews that I've done and, and also some specific topics about pediatric care. Okay, Dr. Shoemaker, it says on your bio that you were part of the COVID response team for Eastern Ontario and you worked in emergency services. Uh, you've been practicing medicine for uh, 45 years uh, yeah. and, and only just recently you've started to speak out about the dangers of this vaccine, especially for children. When did it first hit you that this was not a good thing to be doing, this vaccination program? Well, I'd like to point out that although what you say I've spoken out just recently kind of thing, it's still ahead of 99.99% of doctors. Oh, I mean, no, 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 I, I, no, no, no. I'm not saying it to you, but I am saying that, that uh, for me to begin being so overtly commenting at this point is something that most doctors are still not doing. And I invite more and more to actually please do it. We were making some noise behind the scenes in 2020 and 20. And 2021, but there was only so much we could do. But to answer your straightforward question, um, uh, I became suspicious and not happy of how the world was responding to this from the moment that 
serious and competent physicians were making excellent suggestions as to what to do. Dr. Peter McCullough, world-famous cardiologist out of the U.S. Uh, Dr. Zeb Zelenko, a not-so-famous doctor from Upper New York State, but beloved Dr. Zeb Zelenko, who passed away recently of his own health condition. And he came up with a wonderful way to use ivermectin and azithromycin. He himself had learned it from a French physician scientist in the south of France, and that physician had learned it from studying 13 years of research, 13 years of research that had been done from 2003 to 2015. And all of the research carefully done for 12 or 13 years, uh, Shadow, had shown the CDC, the WHO, and everybody that, number one, vaccines can't work, won't work, will never work, and would be a waste of time against a coronavirus. They already knew that fact. And they also knew the fact that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were completely helpful and effective, especially ivermectin, completely helpful and effective, 100% effective actually in mice experiments, and uh, that they should be the first things tried if there was ever a COVID. So when I knew that the science had supported ivermectin from the beginning, and the science had supported no vaccinations from the beginning, because it, it will only worsen or lengthen the pandemic, and when the two reverse things were being done, how was I to feel other than we're being scammed? Yeah. What kinds of things were going on behind the scenes? I mean, you were on the COVID response team in Eastern Ontario from the very beginning of this whole no, thing. I, like, I don't want to aggrandize that simple comment. That simple comment just speaks of one and one only simple thing. I simply was a member of the response team that went out into nursing homes and provided the earliest care and the earliest injections for our um, seniors, especially in the first three or four months of the pandemic. I was a vaccinator, I did vaccinations. I thought that they were appropriate at that time. I didn't learn and know as many things then as I know now. Uh, had I known those things, I probably wouldn't have participated in putting it even in the arms of the seniors. But I did do that for four months. Uh, sadly, and if people check the statistics, they will see that as the vaccinations began, as the first four months of vaccinations began, Deaths in nursing homes began to soar, not lessen. They soared with the use of the vaccinations in the nursing homes in early 2021. Yes, there were deaths in 2020. Of course there were. But they soared and got worse. And what they call these secondary waves and worsening waves were as much as anything a reflection of the fact that the vaccinations were doing their lethal job of harming the immune system of whoever's arms it went into. At the beginning, it was the seniors and many, many seniors passed away, not just of simple COVID, but of what the vaccinations were doing to them and had done to them. I, I just want to make something absolutely clear, uh, Dr. Shoemaker. I am not trying to vilify you at all, at all. I really appreciate the fact that you're speaking out now, and, and I want to know everything that, that you know and all of our viewers do as well. And that's why I was asking, <clears throat> excuse me, when we go back to early 2020 and the response team, Yes. What what was it like uh, in being on a response team like that? Did anybody really know what they were doing? What were the treatment plans? Because I'll tell you, here in Manitoba, I have been asking doctors privately behind the scenes, what's the treatment plan? And they still won't tell me two years uh, on from this whole thing. Well, they're being up. I mean, they should be able to say you should take copious amounts of vitamin C, copious amounts of vitamin D. You should... Uh, uh, Take some uh, quercetin if you can't get your hands on ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. 
If you can get your hands on hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, you should use those two medications in early COVID to lessen the symptoms to five days or less. And five days of either of those two medications, if they were allowed medications in Canada, would have saved the lives of three quarters to 80%, 75 to 80% of the people who passed away, would not have passed away if they had been allowed and their doctors had been allowed to give them those two extremely effective medicines in the early stages of COVID. Instead, people were stuck, go home to your family room, take some Tylenol if you start to get really sick with oxygen hunger, go to the hospital. And there, when they got to the hospital, there ostensibly were things being done. People ended up on respirators and passing away within nine to 11 days, often being given remdesivir, a terrible medication that basically produces renal failure and hastened their demise. So the treatment treatments in the first 12 months were in no ways ideal and were harmed by the fact that purposeful people at the top across Europe, America, and Canada did not want generic medicines, simple medicines, functional medicines to be used. And the reason they didn't want them used is that they wanted to become, they wanted to be able to come on with further deleterious effect. They wanted everyone to be so afraid, feel they had to take the vaccinations and indeed to take the vaccinations. What was the purpose? The purpose was either incompetence on their part to use something that would only make things worse or a purposeful purpose on their part to harm humans. Because the harm is clear. People who get vaccinated three and four times have knocked their immune system for a complete loop down to about 20% of effectiveness. And the numbers show that. The serious scientists who actually study immune capability see huge diminution in immune capability because of the receipt of the vaccine. And that <laughs> getting that deterioration in immune capability does one thing in particular. It makes you more likely to get COVID. So there you are. You're using ostensibly a vaccine to make you less likely to get COVID. Ladies and gentlemen, it makes you more likely to get COVID and it doesn't lessen your symptomatology or make you safer or whatever these claims were. It doesn't do the damn for that. And we've got the ICUs filled now 95% are fully, triply, and quadruply vaccinated folks with damaged immune systems. That's who's in the ICU now. The, the unvaccinated, the brave unvaccinated, who realized there was a role to play in having herd immunity develop. And if you were a healthy child or a healthy young adult or a healthy middle-aged adult, you ought to not even think about getting the vax because you would be part of the solution. You, in heartening and getting your healthy immune system augmented, by being exposed to the virus and getting over it, you are going to be helping all of society by doing that. The unvaccinated are the healthy folks walking around today. I unfortunately got double vaxxed. I was underinformed as to the dangers by the point when I sort of broke down on the societal, I guess you would call it coercion, the societal coercion that I couldn't go into a coffee shop in October or November of 2021 and couldn't go to a hockey game and I just wanted to live a bit of a life, and I thought, oh, it can't really be as bad as they, some of the people are saying it is. Well, within a month and a half of getting my second vax, two things happened. I got my only time of getting COVID. I had not gotten COVID in a year and a half of having patients cough and snort and be sick in front of me and me put, putting, yes, of course, I had gloves and a mask on, but, you know, I had lots of care going on in front of me. And I didn't get COVID once in 15 months of treating COVID folks coming to the COVID-19 clinics. But 
Near the end of the time that I was working in the clinics was when I succumbed to the coercion, took the two shots, and within 31 days of my second shot, I got pretty darn sick with my one and only time of getting COVID. I never got COVID when my own immune system had been left alone. When it had been damaged by my two shots, that's when I got my one time of getting COVID. You know, it's interesting. They say that the the vaccine at the beginning, when they first rolled it out, well, it's 95, 96% effective. And then as the days and weeks rolled on, it's 78% effective. It's 64% effective. It kept coming down and down and down until finally... They said, well, it's going to make you uh, not as sick if you do get COVID. They finally admitted to that. Is there that, any well, evidence Any evidence they, behind that, that at all? Secondary lie or comment. Uh, let me go back to your 95, 96% effectiveness for a moment. At that mm-hmm. point, what they didn't tell you when, yes, it's 95, 96% effective. What they didn't tell you was doing nothing was 94% effective. Doing nothing. In other words, the vast, vast, vast majority of not getting COVID was due to just being a living, breathing human being with an immune system. That was taking care of 94, 95% of your immunity and not getting COVID. This tiny little 1% difference or benefit, which was, we well, would never approve a drug with only a 1% benefit, say on blood pressure, or a 1% benefit on a, a heart rhythm problem. You'd be laughed out of the halls of academia for a 1% benefit compared to doing nothing. And, and as you correctly said, that 90, before when it was a, a wash, before it was the same, whether you got the shot or didn't, 94, 95%, you won't get COVID. Then the people who didn't get vaccinated, the healthiest, normal folks, the brave folks, they still stay at 94%, won't get COVID. <laughs> won't get COVID. <laughs> the damaged folks, the po- folks who have damaged their immune system by getting these non-vaccines by getting these toxic elements put into them, they are dropping to 74 and 68 and 59% effective. And that's why you're four times more likely, that's huge difference, four times more likely to get COVID or suffer ill effects from COVID if you're vaccinated. Please, everybody, uh, uh, just, just stop taking the shots. We all know they're doing you and all of us, zero good. I stopped at two. If you've had three, stop at three. If you've had four, stop at four. If you've had zero, stay stopped at zero. The best number is zero. And no more is the right number. Doctor, have you seen any, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at this vaccine under a microscope at all, but have you seen anything, if you have, if you, have you seen anything in it that looks strange, something that shouldn't be there? I'm not really a microscope guy personally. I certainly read papers written by very significant pathologists, Dr. Burkhardt out of Germany, Dr. Michael Palmer here in Canada at Waterloo University and others. Um, the key thing I can speak to is not, you know, if there's a some kind of metallic particle or something like that, I, I've got nothing to comment on that. That's for others to comment if they see such things, okay? But the thing I do understand, and the thing that I have seen with great clarity under the slides, is that a lymphocytosis attack, the lymphocytes are your white cells. The white cells, and they are of different types, different white cells do different things, but the killer cells, uh, killer in a good sense, the kinds of white cells called TK8 or TK4 cells, the T cells of your lymphocyte system, they are meant to attack cancers and keep them from becoming cancers, and they are meant to attack viruses, and they take out viruses, and they are meant to do a certain job, Uh, but in so doing, they're going after the vaccine especially, the vaccine element, the spike protein in particular, 
goes into the cells. And when it's in the cell, it makes your lymph system think that those aren't your heart cells. Those are heart cells that aren't even human heart. They're heart cells with a weird mRNA, DNA profile in it. And I'm going after that. I'm going to attack those heart cells, says your own immune system. Or I'm going to attack the walls of your own aorta, says your own immune system. Or I'm going to attack the ovaries of this little 12-year-old girl who's got spike proteins in and around her ovaries. I'm going to go in and attack and inflame the ovaries of that little girl. Or I'm going to inflame the ovaries of a mature woman in her 20s and 30s, and she's going to have horrible bleeding circumstances and irregular periods. And probably if she's going to be pregnant, she's going to lose the baby. All of these things are happening because your immune system didn't want to be called into play like this, but it was called into play. And the reason it's called into play is this is either by, yeah, it is by planning. It's a human engineered virus. Let's not kick around that fact. It is a human engineered virus designed in various laboratories in the 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 era. It took them six, seven, eight years to create this thing. And it was created to create havoc inside the immune system of a human being. So I've cut that interview quite a bit short um, because, you know, we've kind of got the gist of uh, where Dr. Chris Shoemaker stands. Um, he's he's speaking out against this this vaccine. He's he's highlighting the damage. Uh, the the really interesting takeaway that we've never heard before from any other doctor is the fact that uh, not getting vaccinated was ninety four percent effective against COVID nineteen. <laughs> Why do you suppose they kept that number from us, my friends? Why do you suppose? <clears throat> and I do also like the t the fact that he uh, got into the fa or got into the details of uh, <clears throat> the virus being engineered uh, all the way back to 2012, which ties perfectly into what we were talking about earlier. That uh, you know, once once if we can get this truth out, um, it's going to result in Nuremberg 2.0. Like you literally have to have. Uh, trials for all of these people, for all of these people. Okay, my friends, <clears throat> the reason I pulled us out of that interview early is because I want to tackle uh, Alberta's uh, pushback against the federal government's um, gun grab. Uh, you, as you guys are aware, uh, next month is October, and that's when they are going to start kicking in doors and stealing people's legally attained firearms. That's what they're planning on doing. And Alberta has pushed back in such a good way and I think this is a strategy that all the provinces need to follow. Now, we need to get in touch with every province's attorney general and really push uh, for this to happen. But let's get into uh, this press release from Alberta. Last month, I received a letter from Marco Medicino, the federal minister of public safety. And in this letter, he was asking that Alberta provide resources to help confiscate firearms starting in the fall of 2022. We're talking about 30,000 firearms all told. To be clear, these firearms were acquired legally. The list of over 1,500 banned models were all previously non-restricted or restricted firearms and include hunting rifles and shotguns as well as historical artifacts almost 100 years old. And while the federal government has labeled them as, in their words, assault style, end quote, that's a label designed to scare Canadians who are unfamiliar with firearms. It's a description based purely on their appearance and not on any unusual danger that they pose or mechanical capability that they possess. Indeed, these guns are not materially 
different from any number of semi-automatic rifles and shotguns that continue to be legal for any qualified Albertan to own. This is politically motivated confiscation, pure and simple. One that will do nothing to make Alberta a safer place or to reduce the criminal misuse of firearms. And so, I responded to Minister Medicino by telling him that no, Alberta will not assist the federal government in this or any federal effort to strip lawfully obtained personal property from our residents. To challenge this ban, we are also pursuing legal action. Alberta will seek to intervene in six ongoing judicial review applications challenging the constitutionality of the federal firearm prohibition legislation. As interveners, we would be able to offer the court arguments based on the specific challenges that the federal legislation has created for Alberta's law-abiding firearms community and advance legal arguments that the federal government has overreached with its plan to ban 1,500 models of firearms. Upon my instructions, my ministry's lawyers sent a letter to the federal court last week advising it of our plans. We have also been informed by civil servants from Public Safety Canada that the federal government intends to conscript provincial RCMP officers into acting as confiscation agents as part of their, what is their terminology, buyback program, end quote. Now, although I have been advised that the commanding officer for K Division does not support using provincial police resources to administer the federal government's confiscation program, we believe that the federal government will continue with their plans undeterred. Now, it's important to remember that Alberta taxpayers pay over $750 million per year for the RCMP, and we will not tolerate taking officers off the streets in order to confiscate the property of law-abiding firearms owners. To take action, I have used the authorities that we have as a province. Under the Provincial Police Service Agreement, this is the agreement that we have with Canada to contract our, our provincial policing, and I've used these authorities to write to the commanding officer of the RCMP in Alberta to formally identify the confiscation program as an activity that is not an, quote, objective, priority, or goal of the province or the provincial police service, end quote. And that the use of RCMP resources would be contrary to the effective and efficient delivery of police services, consequently, the RCMP should refuse to participate. Now, despite taking this step, the federal government may still direct the RCMP to serve as confiscation agents. To prevent this from happening, Alberta will formally dispute any attempt to do so by invoking Article 23 of that agreement, the Provincial Police Service Agreement. Our government understands the dangers that come with the criminal misuse of firearms, and we've always been in favor of sensible uh, policies to mitigate those risks. As today's announcement bears out, however, we will never support misguided policies, fear-mongering, or the seizure of private property. I'll now invite Alberta's... So there you have it, a terrific pushback by Alberta, which right at this moment is still standing alone in the fight against guns. I'm, like you guys heard me say, I'm hoping that uh, Scott Mole. Uh, sees this initiative taken by Alberta and jumps on board. Um, we see something similar in Saskatchewan. Um, there is talks 
Uh, there is whispers um, coming out of Parliament in Saskatchewan that they are supportive of, of this and that they are uh, not only that, but they're also watching Danielle Smith's rise to power in Alberta. Um, it's looking like Danielle Smith is going to take it. And she's also pushing heavily for a sovereignty act. Now that, my friends, is the answer to all of our federal problems. Is if the provincial, if the provinces started standing up and saying, no, they are sovereign in specific areas, <clears throat> that they have the right um, to to basically disregard any garbage coming out of the federal government, uh, fascist, tyrannical overreach like uh, confiscation of legally acquired firearms, for example, um, they can just say, no, no, we're not partaking in your, your fascist overreach and that's that. So anyway, this is, this is neat. Um, there is um, a circulating post going around on the socials that shows you um, each province's governor general and has their email and contact information, and uh, it's encouraging everybody to get in touch with them and uh, to follow these lines of Alberta. So all of you gun owners out there that are listening to this, I, I encourage you to um, look up your governor general <clears throat> and and write them and say, we are, we are expecting you to stand up for the people of this province just like Alberta, or worded however you want. Um, <clears throat> so very, very, very good of Alberta. They're listening to their people. Um, you know, other than, you know, heavy urban centers with a lot of people that do not have anything to do with firearms, uh, the bulk majority of rural and, uh, you know, small town Canadians are just like, uh, this, we, we are dead set against this fascistic behavior coming out of our, our federal government in regards to our private property, legally attained private property, and then using the RCMP to kick down doors and steal our property? Yeah, no, we're not down with it. We're not down with it one one bit. And I and I shouldn't just I shouldn't exclude urban urban people. My apologies, my friends. I know there's a lot of urban gun owners, hunters. Um, <clears throat> it's just unfortunate that you you have to share your space with people that are very very adamantly against them. And and I get that even in small towns, even in rural Saskatchewan, you got people that are anti-gun, uh, hard liberals. I get it. I get it. It's everywhere, but just the bulk. Uh, what I'm what I'm focusing on is the fact that the bulk uh, portion of people that are supporting this type of uh, fascistic behavior from their government are urban people. Anyway, my friends, let's. Uh, that's where we're going to end this one. So, like always, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, use the message button for any information that you want to send my way. Um, the email is CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. The telegram room is t.me backslash CPR underscore two. And the website is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in again, my friends. And until next time, in all thy sons command. for joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care. <laughs>